Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke. I'm going to be reading chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and this is from the New Revised Standard Version. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed him by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Judy. Let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last Sunday, we, wa- we launched a three-week worship series called Seen and Unseen, Adopting the Worldview of Jesus. And this series is grounded in the storytelling skills of Jesus, particularly in his ability to use parables to offer us a new perspective, to help us see as Jesus sees. We began with the parable of the wedding banquet to consider a core truth about the worldview of Jesus, the fact that everyone belongs, everyone is welcome. Today's passage asks us to consider what putting that concept of belonging into action actually requires of us. To do that, I would like to tell you a story. And that might be a little strange for me to ask permission because I tell you a story every week and 
Many of those stories make you laugh because they feature my adorable but precocious children. But this story is a little bit different. It's more sensitive. It's going to require me to be more vulnerable with you. And it's going to require you to trust me that I'm not trying to manipulate your emotions. Do you want to hear the story? Seven and a half years ago, I received a phone call. Amy, there is a baby in the ICU at Parkland Hospital in Dallas. She's going to need someone to pick her up, take her in, and care for her wounds while Child Protective Services conducts an investigation. Her wounds. That was the phrase that was ringing in my head as I called Jason from my parked car. We got the call, I said. She's five months old. She's suffered third-degree burns over 17% of her body. She's undergone two skin graft surgeries in the 10 days she's been in the hospital. She can't go back to her first home right now, maybe ever. We need to clear our schedules tomorrow because we'll need to drive the three hours to Dallas, meet her, learn how to do her wound care, and drive the three hours back all in one day because we have to spend the night in our home, which was approved for foster care. We'll have to clear our schedules, in fact, for the next two weeks at least because she can't go to daycare while she's healing. Silence. I finally said, Jason, what do you think? Do you think we can do this? He said, I think she needs us. What's her name? Her name is Natalie. Many of you know her as our eight-year-old daughter. And this remarkable child did give me permission to share this part of her story with you when I told her why. Why I wanted to share it with you today. Because that, that phone call from our contact at the licensing agency brought Jason and me to the most profound who's my neighbor moment of our lives. All of the foster parent training, all of the trauma-informed care principles, all of the longed-for precious moments of snuggling a healthy baby just went right out the window when we considered what it would mean to care for a child who would be wrapped in bandages. And it was those bandages on that sweet baby that came to my mind when I reread this story of the Good Samaritan. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Those are the words of Jesus. He's telling this story in the midst of a formal, public, verbal sparring with an expert in the law. His opponent is crafty, but Jesus is up for the challenge because he's an expert in the law too, right? He knows how to respond to questions with more questions. He knows how to sidestep the traps and get to the heart of the matter. Jesus listens to his challenger, quote, two different passages of law and present the greatest commandment as you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus puts the expert on the defensive, basically saying that's the perfect Sunday school answer. 
Now go and put those words into action. It's the challenger's next question, who's my neighbor, that launches the telling of the Good Samaritan story, which so many of us know by heart. A man walks along the side of the road, and other men catch up to him and physically assault him. They rob him. They strip him of his clothing, and they presumably leave him for dead. And then a priest walks by and does nothing except cross to the other side of the road and perhaps walk a little bit faster. And a Levite does the same thing. Now, both people, the priest and the Levite, they would have been considered by the law to be holy and required to maintain their purity. So they would have been forbidden to get near a naked body, which would have presumed to be a dead body and thus ceremoniously unclean. But the Samaritan, who would have actually considered the bleeding man to be a mortal enemy because of the long-standing feud between their people groups, stopped and helped anyway. This particular Samaritan would have been further despised in the eyes of the Jews because if he's walking through this territory, he most likely was a trader of goods. And traders were considered to be thieves, getting rich at the expense of others. His connections at the end make him even less desirable because only people who did not have proper family connections would stay in a place like that. So Jesus sets up this story in such a way that anyone listening would be filled with disgust, would be internally distancing themselves, both from the desperate plight of the man in the gutter and from the moral stench of the Samaritan to the point that the sympathy would actually go to the robbers. And then he delivers the final question, who was the good neighbor? And just like that, the expert in the law had fallen into his own trap because he'd already admitted that loving God and loving neighbor is the, the best way to be faithful. And Jesus had described the acts of compassion of that undesirable Samaritan toward the person who was suffering so clearly that it could not be denied. Who was the good neighbor? And so the expert replies, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed mercy. And mercy is such a powerful concept. We often use it interchangeably with grace, grace being an undeserved gift from God. But if grace is receiving something wonderful that we don't deserve, then mercy is not receiving something terrible that we do deserve. Now, did the man walking along the side of the road deserve to be beaten and left for dead? I think we would say no. Right? Most of us would say no. I hope all of us would say no. But most Samaritans would have said yes, simply by his virtue of being a Jew. But when he saw the wounds of another human being, the Samaritan, the outsider, followed the greatest commandment of the law of Moses, while the holy religious leaders hid behind the legalistic ones. That's the trap that Jesus is asking us to avoid. That's the perspective that he is offering us with this story. Faith is not about having the right answers. It's about following Jesus to an inner place of healing. 
Salvation means healing after all. Faith is not about having the right answers. It's about following Jesus to a place of healing to the point that we can invite others to follow alongside us. And healing begins, beloved, with an acknowledgement of woundedness. All those years ago, as Jason and I considered what it would require of us to welcome a baby who was recovering from third-degree burns into our home, we realized that before we could tend to her wounds, we needed to be sure we were not saying yes to this important responsibility out of our own woundedness. You see, we had longed to be parents for quite some time, and we had suffered many hardships and losses along the way. Foster care and adoption had always been a part of our parenting plan, but this was our first placement, our first experience as parents at all, and it was coming just a few months after our last miscarriage. And we knew that we were still healing, and we would be for quite some time, and we wanted to make sure that, that we would not transfer our pain onto this little girl. I've said it before, and I will say it again, because it bears repeating, and it's not original to me. The pain that is not transformed will be transferred. We don't allow our pain to be healed. We're going to pass it along to other people. That's what we're witnessing in the world right now. It's what we're witnessing in the United Methodist Church and here at Morningstar and in our own relationships. Woundedness that is going unhealed. But the good news, the good news is that Jesus is the way to healing. Jesus is the way to healing. Now, I've struggled with this concept most of my life. I've grown up in church. I've known stories like the Good Samaritan. It's as long as I can remember. I've struggled with this concept that Jesus took on the wounds and the pain and the sin of all of humanity to give us freedom. I've struggled with this idea that God would choose such an ugly plan for redemption. I've especially struggled with it lately as I see so many of us carrying our pain around, not accepting the healing that's been offered. And then I realized recently, just last week, in fact, for Jesus to take on our wounds doesn't only mean that he was our proxy and a brutal death that he didn't deserve, but we did. It means Jesus walks with us in our woundedness on our path to accepting the healing that he offers. And that healing comes, beloved, not by merely professing that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Oh, that, that's important. The healing comes by submitting to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, by following in his ways. Because the ways of Jesus are good for us and good for our community. They heal our wounds from the inside out. Now, I've known this right answer from Sunday school most of my life. But it took all of my years growing up, and especially the last seven and a half years, of living with and loving Natalie to really understand it a little bit better, for me to see beyond the surface, because the surface can be deceiving. This picture was taken about a week and a half ago on the night before her latest medical procedure in Albuquerque. Natalie's 
initial physical wounds healed within a couple of weeks. What we didn't realize is that the scars would reopen as she grows, requiring daily care at home and regular intensive medical treatments. But those, those physical wounds, they don't compare in the slightest to the wounds that we cannot see. The long-term effects of early childhood trauma on brain development and the nervous system. And it has become our family's entire commitment to take on these wounds with our little, little girl. It had to. Otherwise, the pain would have swallowed us up. But more than that, it's what we signed up for. It's what Jason and I signed up for, and it's what Augie and Olivia and Natalie are understanding that we all sign up for as followers of Jesus. This is what we all sign up for. It's not just about my family. It's about the family and the body of Christ. And when one part of the body suffers, we all feel it until we're healed. And yes, healing takes work. It's the work of Jesus, but it takes our cooperation and it's tough, but it's kingdom work. It's gospel work. It is good news for the whole world because the truth is everyone needs healing. Everyone needs healing. That's our common denominator. That's our common ground. That's our equal footing. Our wounds are not desired, but they have the power to connect us in our humanity and to increase that sense of belonging if we're willing to acknowledge our pain, if we're willing to let our pain be healed and walk alongside those who are suffering to alleviate that suffering. That's what putting the concept of belonging into action requires of us. Honesty about our pain, a willingness to cooperate in our healing, and the ability to invite others, to show up with others, to walk with others in their own pain, to bandage their wounds, so as you leave today, I have a Band-Aid for you. It's simple. I have one for all of you too, kids. They're really fun. It's a simple concept. Probably seems silly in light of the magnitude of the pain in the world, but I'm offering this to you as a symbol, as a sign, not of pain, but of compassion. Everyone needs a Band-Aid now and then. So you can put this in your wallet. You can put it in your purse. And when you encounter an episode with humanity, you can look at this Band-Aid and remember we're all human. And if someone needs a Band-Aid, you can share it. You can put your faith into action in a small but meaningful way because it's actually the compassion behind the wound care that brings the healing. It's the compassion behind the wound care that brings the healing. Jesus tells us this through the story of the Good Samaritan. It tells us that this is what it means to love God and to love neighbor. But it is up to us, beloved, to go and do likewise. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. This is another point where we connect with the kids in our service. In your worship bag, kids, we have our wooden crosses. Can you pull your wooden cross out? Natalie, do you have your cross? Yeah, you can hold the cross. You got it? You want, it? you want this one? Take it. All right. So when we hold the cross, it's like we're holding God's hand. 
and we're holding each other's hands as well. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who can banish all affliction, both of soul and of body, show forth your power upon those in need, that by your mercy they may be restored to serve you afresh in holiness of living. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.